The Shy Chat Podcast. Stories that connect. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to the Shy Chat Podcast. This is your host, Peter Raymolt, and I'm glad you're here. As you may already know, this show is my first time as a podcast host, so I've been researching some of the experts' best practices to find some tips. In order to get superior sound outside of a studio, I'm told professional podcasters record inside a blanket fort to restrict the sound from echoing off the floors and ceilings. Aside from a blanket fort, many of the pros record inside a clothes closet, if they can fit, as the clothes absorb much of the sound and minimize echoes. To give you an idea of my home setup, I have neither a fort nor a closet large enough for me to fit inside, so I'm currently recording fully cloaked and a heavy fleece blanket. Perhaps that visual provides some comic relief as we embark on another great story. I recently sat down with Cliff Sakatukwa, a senior associate on our strategy team, who calls himself the luckiest man alive, and joins the podcast to tell us why. He discusses growing up as one of eight siblings on a family farm in rural Zimbabwe. Cliff reflects on how his outlook on life is shaped by his personal experiences and details his passion for giving back by being involved with Urban Initiatives, a Chicago-based nonprofit organization that uses the power of sport to transform communities. Cliff, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Is that, and is that how you pronounce your last name, Sakatukwa? Exactly. You got it. Oh, gosh. Well, beginner's luck, I suppose. Um, <laughs> how is, uh, how's the quarantine going? I know it's kind of a new normal to get used to. It's going. Uh, I'm sure we are all facing um, different experiences. Uh, it's just myself and my wife, Pamela, here. She's working in a corner. I'm sitting in my corner. It's it's going. I can't complain. Yeah, I guess it's uh, trying to figure out how to split apartments that sometimes you'd have zero people in, and now we've got two or more. So I think a lot of people are experiencing those same issues. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And uh, I know uh, learning a little bit about your background, you have a little bit of a different upbringing than perhaps a lot of people at KPMG. So I'd kind of like to start uh, right from birth. So uh, would you like to tell the people uh, where you're born and where you grew up, Cliff? Of course, Peter. Thank you. I was uh, born and raised in a family of eight siblings. Uh, that's a big family right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born and raised in Rusape, Zimbabwe. I was born and raised on a family farm. Uh, my family owns uh, one of the big farms in the country. And growing up on the farm, uh, there was always so much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, including spending time in the fields, helping helping my mother in the garden, uh, but also spending time uh, times with the cattle, which I think at the time were my favorite. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, and, and before we keep going, um, I know there's a, probably a number of people listening to this podcast that aren't terribly familiar with Zimbabwe. Uh, I know personally, I know Zimbabwe for the amazing Victoria Falls and what is it, the inflation rate and some of the economic things that, that others may know about. But I don't really know much about the country. So do you want to give us a, a little short background? Of course. Um, it's actually very interesting how much uh, knowledge you have uh, regarding Zimbabwe. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that you started with uh, inflation, I think, shows me you actually know Zimbabwe very well because the country is very notorious for that. Um, but a little bit about the country... It's located in Southern Africa. 
and uh, as a point of reference, uh, we share the same border with South Africa. I think it's a country that most people know about. Mm-hmm. The country, I think you might be wondering in terms of the climate, uh, it's predominantly tropical grasslands. And like you said, we have the majestic Victoria Falls uh, in the country. And uh, the people in general are one of the nicest people that uh, you could you could meet. Awesome. However, like you said, <laughs> you talked about inflation. I think it speaks to how the country is managed. Um, the country is a democracy uh, on paper. But um, in practice, there's a lot of... Um, things going on which is, uh, have resulted in the country having one of the worst unemployment uh, numbers in history but also uh, inflation like you said. And uh, so you talk about it being uh, supposedly a democracy. Was that yes. something that you could feel growing up in Zimbabwe? Yes. I, I felt it uh, through how People are so political in how they say things, which is reflective of how censored, if I could say that, how censored mm-hmm. they are. So there are certain things that I couldn't, and even up to date, that I can't say in public um, for fear of, you don't know who's listening. Uh, the mm-hmm. government sort of uses the police uh, to sort of monitor how people do things. So for as long as you're not political or you don't go against uh, the government, then you're safe. So it's on paper a democracy, but in practice it's not. Got it. Um, are those things that even now when you're in the U.S. you can't say? Or is it just when you're in the country? It's just when you're in the country. Uh, this country, ha- uh, the U.S., has its own challenges. But, of course, here you can say whatever you want to say, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, let, let's go back to kind of growing up in Zimbabwe. Um, can you describe kind of life on the farm and life at school? Um, you know, what did you do after school for fun? Yeah, I will. Um, things have changed. Uh, there's been so much development in terms of infrastructure. Of course, the country still has a long way to go. But back in the day, uh, the school that I attended uh, for primary education was, I think, five miles away from home, away from the farm. So I used to actually to walk to school with my siblings. Um, so most of the time during school was spent trying to get to school. So I would five, five miles each way. Yeah, that's, wow. that's, that's a lot of walking. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I would leave home early in the morning, like 5, 6 a.m. to get to school for, I think, 8, 38, 45 and then walk back home in the evening. So when you go back home, I don't think you can really be a naughty kid when you're tired. All you want <laughs> to do is eat, shower, and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and now, so then you so you grew up there, you went to school there, um, but now you're working for KPMG in the U.S. What kind of drove you to leave home and to come to the U.S.? That's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> So, after high school, actually during my time in high school, like I told you, my focus was doing well in school. So, mm-hmm. I really did perform better than most of my um, colleagues. And as luck would have it, I was identified by um, 
a program at the U.S. Embassy in the country. Uh, the program is called uh, the United Student Achievers Program, uh, USAP, USAP. Mm -hmm. They try to find people they can help apply to colleges in the U.S. based on their performances in high school. And I was one of those kids. Is this only a program in Zimbabwe or is this in other countries as well? The program started in Zimbabwe, I think, around 1999, but it's since gone to other African countries, countries around Zimbabwe, I think, Malawi, Botswana, and maybe a few more other countries. Um, and it was through that program that I was introduced to the um, to American colleges, but also to taking SATs, which I did well. I don't remember my score, but I did well enough to apply to... Beria College in Kentucky, where mm -hmm. I got in, uh, got a full scholarship, and that's how I made my choice to go to the United States and start my life in Kentucky. Ah, congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. And uh, when you when you made that decision to move to Kentucky to go to Berea, uh, did any of your siblings uh, had they did they already move to the U.S. or are you the first one? I'm actually the first and only in the United States from my family. Back home in Zimbabwe, it's, it's a different kind of life. So people generally have low incomes, but the, 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 I think there's something that can explain why that low levels of income. That's, that is because pe people as, are not as busy as we are here, and I think they like that slow pace kind of life. Yeah, no, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so then that, that makes me think of the question for you now is, what drove you as a high school student and beyond to say, I want to try the U.S. or I, I want to move when really no one else you knew was living in the United States? <laughs> I think it's one of those things when I was told that you could potentially go and start, study in the United States. I was just excited. I had no idea what that meant at that age. But I just knew it was something uh, new that I could do. And for, for me, it's all about trying to see when I'm going to fail. So for mm -hmm. me, it was almost an opportunity to try something and see if I was going to fail or succeed. And thank God, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but tell me, Cliff, you, you're living in Zimbabwe your whole life. You move over to Kentucky at Berea. Did you ever feel like, all right, this is enough. I got to move back? <laughs> yeah, my first year in college was very challenging. I really wanted to go back home. I remember talking to uh, one of the international student advisors at my college at Berea, uh, asking if I could go back home, I think, my first summer. And more than it was about wanting to go back home, visit my family, I think at that time I was doubting and questioning my choices. Uh, but of course, I learned the culture here, I learned uh, the people around me, and I made it home. Um, by the time I graduated college, I was actually voted homecoming king from uh, at the college, simply because I'd learned the people around me. Yeah, that, that's quite an honor. Um, so then after you finished up at Berea, where did you move next? Actually, when I was at Berea College, I met my now wife, Pamela, there. She was also a student at Berea College. 
we dated uh, for a year or so and uh, just two weeks before graduation in 2012 we got married and moved to Chicago and then was that did you come right to KPMG at that point or did you have another job before that that's a good question so my first job out of college was uh, it's another big four here in mm -hmm. Chicago and I did data analytics slash audit support uh, uh, with that firm spent for about about two years there and then I moved to KPMG in 2014 where I was sitting within our IT risk consulting function got it and then uh, so currently I know that you're in our strategy group so um, how did you decide to transition from IT risk consulting to strategy? As I have mentioned, one of the things that get me excited is learning new things. Mm -hmm. Of course, within IT risk consulting practice, there was always something for me to learn. Uh, but because I also talked to people with, with, uh, in other different functions, I learned about the strategy practice and I told myself I have to learn what they do. And it was around that time that I also uh, talked to somebody who was doing an MBA and they told me if you really want to contribute enough but also learn within the strategy practice, why don't you go for your MBA? So I decided to go for my MBA and then make a transition into the strategy practice. And where did you get your MBA at? I got my MBA at Yale. So I was at Yale School of Management with my wife from 2017 to 2019. And I'm really grateful and thankful that uh, KPMG strategy actually sponsored my MBA. So I spent my two years there, came back to KPMG, uh, did a summer internship in summer of 2018 in New York. And now I graduated and moved back to Chicago full time. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you. So before we move past, do you have any good stories from your time at Yale? I love playing soccer and I was captain for our soccer team at the School of Management for the two years that I was there. So that's exciting right there. But also I spent a semester at London School of Economics during my time at Yale and during that time I my wife and I visited a number of countries, which was exciting. Um, but I think the most important and exciting thing that ever happened to me were the people that I met. My classmates, amazing. They've all gone to do amazing things right now. And I think it's exciting knowing that I'm, I'm doing consulting and down the line when I'm looking for business, these are the people that I'm going to, uh, to talk to. Yeah, I mean, the connections I imagine you made there were just incredible. It was uh, an exciting time. And also, I'm not sure if you know Tim Geithner, uh, the former Treasury Secretary, I think, under the Obama administration. Oh, yeah. uh, he was, I actually took a class that he teaches at Yale. He was my professor, which was exciting. Oh, what a great opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing and uh, also just learning that when he was a little boy, he actually lived in Zimbabwe a little bit uh, and also in Zambia. So we had a oh, good connection cool. going on there. Oh, that's really special. That's great.
Okay, so then after Yale, you moved back to KPMG, and um, I know that you've been very involved with certain organizations that KPMG is involved with, with such as Urban Initiatives, Junior Achievement, Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, what motivates you to get involved in those organizations? I feel I'm probably the luckiest person in the world because growing up in Zimbabwe, I never thought that I would ever come to the United States. Not just coming to the United States, but the opportunities that I've had, I think they're out of this world. And I grew up in a low-income family. We were not the poorest family uh, around, but definitely um, low-income to the extent that some of the facilities that I see in this country we never had. And so when I came, came here and looking around especially Chicago and how uh, different neighborhoods mean different things to different people, um, I wanted to get involved. So like you said, I've been involved with uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters uh, and this was actually through KPMG. Maybe one of the reasons why I work for KPMG is because it supports its employees to get involved that way. Mm -hmm. With Urban Initiatives, I've actually run the Chicago Marathon in 2015, 2016, trying to fundraise. What Urban Initiatives does is try to help youth from low-income neighborhoods achieve their potential. So they use the power of sports. In this case, we use soccer to target Students that we see have potential but don't have resources, teach them leadership, teach them how to have drive and to want to achieve better in life. And I think that all stems from how I grew up in a low-income family, but now I have all these opportunities, all these resources. I went to Yale, um, I work for KPMG, I have all these connections, and I just feel that I need to give back. Yeah, I mean that, that sounds like a great a great initiative, um, and and it sounds like we need that more than ever right now. Is there anything that you're doing or helping with urban initiatives or another organization to assist those that are uh, heavily impacted by COVID nineteen? Yes, I, I wouldn't want to say I'm assisting per se because uh, my contribution is just small. I mean, there are people that are really doing amazing work out there. Uh, the nurses, the doctors, you know, the, those people are doing amazing work. Uh, but in my small circle, I'm currently trying to fundraise uh, through urban initiatives to help um, one of the local schools here in Chicago called Otis Elementary. Hmm. I'm trying to fundraise some money to help fund their bus transportation for the next academic year so they can participate in the different events going on around uh, in Chicago. Like I mentioned earlier on, different neighborhoods mean different things to different mm -hmm. people. Some of the students that I'm trying to help, they live in low-income neighborhoods, so we're trying to help them cut across different boundaries, move from neighborhood A to neighborhood B that might have different experiences and different uh, facilities. That's great. I mean, that that's absolutely inspiring and something that seems to be at the forefront of what's needed right now. Um, well, thank you. If, if there's someone that's listening to this podcast that really is inspired by urban initiatives or anything else that you've been describing, what's the best way for someone to get involved? 
they can just reach out to me uh, via email and I can get them connected. Uh, currently, I'm actually on the associate board of Urban Initiative, so I can put them in touch with the people that they can talk to. Great. Okay. Um, and then, based on your background and your and your upbringing and the experience you've had um, so far in life, which are vast, what kind of advice would you give to somebody right now um, as they're looking at the world and the way the world's shaping and it's changing with COVID and things are getting flipped up on their head and there's a lot of negativity? What kind of advice would you give to somebody moving forward uh, to keep their mind clear and keep things positive uh, as you look into the next few months and years? That's uh, a very deep question, and hopefully I'm going to do justice uh, responding to your question. So I think one of the pieces that I did not discuss uh, during our conversation is during my time at Yale, my wife actually went through chemo. She had, um, wow. yeah, it was a challenging time. She had uh, ovarian cancer. At, le at least it was stage one, and it was mm -hmm. one of those challenging times that I went through and sort of it just forced me to really look at what I consider important and I know we like to throw around the word that I want to change the world and definitely I remember when I was applying to college I really wanted to change the world mm -hmm. but now I realize changing the world could be just one person it doesn't have to be two, three, four people. So if with with what what's going on right now, I think if you could just stop for a second and you could just pick up a call and say hi to somebody, that could be life-changing for somebody. It's very small, but it could help somebody brighten their day. Sometimes we think changing the world means that we have a lot of money to give. It doesn't have to be money you could just give somebody your time your thoughts or just send a note i found myself uh last week going back into my uh email emails from when i was in graduate school and picking random people that i was just sending one line messages say hey i know things are tough right now how are things going and somebody would respond and you can tell somebody just feels good that somebody's thinking about them mm -hmm. So I think if you can just take a second to just check in with anybody and everybody, that could make the situation better. Yeah, well, I think we're going to have to take a page out of your playbook and follow your example and reach out to that person that maybe needs it more than others at this point. And just because we're physically quarantined doesn't mean we can't use FaceTime or texts or calls to, to connect with our loved ones. Yeah, I think you said it well. I could have said it the way you did, but... Um, that's all we can do. And when I was, when my wife was going through chemo, I think the greatest strength and support that I got were from my classmates, them just stopping by, text message, what's going on, and things like that. That changed everything. And now she's healed, she, she's not sick, and awesome. all that. Uh, but I think we give credit to all the people that supported us. So hopefully we can do the same for others right now. Absolutely. No, those are those are great words to live by. Um, so, anyways, I just want to say thanks again for coming on the podcast, Cliff. And before I let you go, I got a quick few quick questions, our lightning round, some quick one one line answers, and kind of ended on a little bit of a light note. You ready for that? 
Yes, Pete, I am. All right, first thing that comes to mind. Shower or bath? Bath. What's the last song you listened to? Can I pass? <laughs> All right, fine, pass. Uh, do you have a phobia? Not that I'm a werewolf. Uh, have you ever broken any bones? Many times playing soccer. <laughs> uh, pumpkin or pecan pie? Pumpkin. Oh, love pumpkin. Allergic to pecans, so that's a bit of an easy one for me. And uh, last question. Uh, once someone realizes that you're on this podcast, who's the most likely person in the office that will listen? Melanie Henderson, my PML. She's amazing. I love you. All right, Melanie. Great. Well, hopefully she listens, and I'm sure others will, too, uh, once they hear about this great story clip. So uh, I want to say thanks again. Appreciate you opening up, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Peter, for all you do. Thank you for listening to the Shy Chat Podcast with your host, Peter Raimholt. For more information about Urban Initiatives or Cliff's story, please contact Cliff Sakatukwa at C-S-A-K-U-T-U-K-W-A at kpmg.com. If you like what you heard, spread the word. And if you or someone you know has a great story that you think we should hear about, please contact Aaron Bailey at ebailey at kpmg.com or myself at pramholt at kpmg.com.